Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people with dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. New York Times comedy critic Jason Zinneman has joined me every year since 2015 for our own traditional December to remember the year in comedy. On the one hand, I try to pin Zinneman down on who we might vote for if comedy, like sports, awarded an MVP for the most valuable performer. But we always also get into the media issues, themes, and headlines that dominated the year in comedy. So what made 2023 special for comedy? And which comedians did the most this year? There's a lot to get to, so let's get to it! And we're back with Jason Zimmon once more for year nine of the comedy MVPs this year, taking on 2023. And before I ask you for any specific names, I want to know how much thought you gave to the fact that this was a major strike year. Both the Writers Guild of America, uh, Screen Actors Guild, as well as the directors all were on strike for most of the year, which definitely had an impact on comedy. And there were definite comedians who stepped up and were a big part of the strike. Did any of them make your list? No. <gasps> I did not put, do put, I mean, I, you're right. You're absolutely right that, that it played a big part in the, in the year. Um, I think it played a, less of a big part in, in comedy this year than it did in others, but maybe that was wrong. Well, you tell me what, how did it, do you have any, uh, and did it play a part in your list? Anecdotally, I I feel like because maybe this is the bubble that I'm in as a comedy critic, comedy beat reporter. But because, you know, I follow so many comedians, I couldn't help but notice, like, at least in New York City, Josh Gondelman was front and center. He was leading rallies uh, a lot of time for the entire guild. Um, you know, on the West Coast, Adam Conover, who... Adam likes to ruin everything, but he he wasn't ruining the strike. He was, you know, giving a lot of clear, clear-headed, uh, cut through the BS information, as well as a comedy writer, uh, Jen D'Angelo, who's on the West Coast. Right. She was posting a lot of thoughtful things on Instagram that were going viral all the time. Justine Bateman, who is per- perhaps best known still from Family Ties, has has been like really dissecting the. The negotiations and the contracts. So, I don't know that I would have picked any of them for my comedy MVP of the year, but I definitely feel like it was such a such a big part of what's going on. That's a good point. This year, that I <laughs> wanted to give them mention before we get into like the Matt Rife of it all. No, I think they. Well, you know, the comedians tend to be. Uh, more outspoken than other artists on on big issues, and the strike was no different. Um, it so I think you're right. They they in a lot of ways were the, they were more prominent than a lot. But there were also a lot of actors who were, and a lot of other players who were. So, but but I think right. that's a well well. I think that's a, a good point. Um, I mean, the SAG after president is Fran Drescher. But so. you haven't you haven't. As, as far as I know, and I'm sorry if I missed it, but if you released your best of comedy, I have specials? not. It has not come out. But okay, so let's overlap. hear. I I think I've already put my cards on the table, uh, and most of what I'm going to say is going to be repeating that. So I'm curious, what you what 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 do you put for best specials of the year? 
I'm still finalizing my list, but you know, Mark Barron's at the top or near the top with his from 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 Leap to Dark. Uh, Beth Stelling with her her second pig special. I mean, I had her first special, which was on Max. I had her first her debut special as my number one that year. I don't know that I got her number one this year, but she's she's close to the top again. Uh, I think because of what she did. I mean, Mark, because of, you know, how he crossed his partner's death, as well as how he's kind of confronting this moment in comedy, really kind of stepped up in a way that other people have not, especially among my Generation X, who who has been letting me down big time. <laughs> uh, not just on uh, the, the comedy front, but on all sorts of political fronts. My, my generation of comedians has been letting me down. But Mark hasn't. Um, Mark, uh, Beth Stelling. You know, I always love me some Gary Goleman. He's he's going to be on there somewhere. I always I always love Nate Bargatze and uh, Jim Gaffigan. Um, Monique. I, I, I'm still trying to decide if Monique is going to make my list. Wanda Sykes is definitely making my list. Uh, uh, I thought I wrote this in my review of Wanda Sykes. I'm an entertainer. I thought. For what she was talking about, I I really wish they had made her the live special and not Chris Rock. Hmm. You know, Chris Rock had the sensationalism of the Oscars slap and all of that. And Chris Rock is, you know, pound for pound, one of the the top comedians working. But I was really underwhelmed by his special in a way that made me <laughs> see Wanda's hour and go... And I really wish she got those 36 million eyeballs. Well, that was never going to happen. <laughs> and well, she was one of the co-hosts of the Oscars. That No, no, I don't mean that. I mean that she wasn't going to get the 36. I mean, the reason he got 36 million eyeballs was because of the Will Smith slap. And that that was a big subject in so many specials. Uh, I mean, it, the the uh, in fact, it was I, you know, somebody I think was a Marlon Wayans special. That was the best special, I think, about the slap. It's, it, I think, yeah. it got kind of overshadowed because it came out after you know around the same time that Chris Rock's did. But it's worth checking out on HBO Max. It's actually he knows all the parties personally, and he has an incredibly funny, thoughtful take on it. But it's it's if you were to track the kind of subjects of the year that are different than the main subjects or mm-hmm. the subjects that you know dating, whatever politics and it. That was one of them, and I and I'm pretty sure that it's going to show up again in Chappelle's special coming out um, at the end of the year. But um, anyway, so the point is that's right. Kevin Hart came out with a baseball bat. But 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 the uh, but I want to finish this. So uh, you're you're naming a bunch of specials that that I agree with a a bunch of them. But Mm -hmm. what's the best special of the year, Sean? I I'm a weasel in that I don't do a top ten, but I do force myself. You do, you picked you picked Gaffigan. But let's hear you. I've already laid my cards on the table. I'll defend. I I, I just told you that I'm probably going to go with Marin. You going with Marin? Interesting. What? No, saying so, Marin for the. I see. You. I guess you did. You know. I, I think I, I think Marin was touching on more profound, bigger things. Uh, Gaffigan is probably going to make my list, but I think what it my thought process this year came down to. Okay. First off, there I I realized I went through my my past lists. 
there are 18 comedians who have previously made my top tens who had specials this year. So already, if I just limited it to those 18, I'm going to snub eight people. Right, but not everyone. But that's that's a kind of a, a symbol of like how many specials there were this year. It's like I've also been like spending the last few days going through YouTube to try to make sure I didn't miss something that that absolutely needed to be considered. If 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 oh my a, God, if a million weird. people are watching it, there I, there are twenty one. I just went through as as I was waiting to to restart the Zoom. There are twenty one stand up specials. Twenty one that have come out in this calendar year that have gotten at least a million views. It's incredible. It's incredible. I think. Look, and only three of them are from Matt Rife. One of the things that <laughs> critics do mm-hmm. is we don't just talk about the most. We, we're interested in what the most popular is, but that's not our job, right? Right. If people laugh, it doesn't. It's not. We're not just judging by the quality of la- the quantity of laughter. And one of our jobs is to is to find these um, less less well known, more obscure ones. And in some ways. It's just a, like an incredible time on to do that. Uh, there are some spe- like the, you know, Django Gold, mm-hmm. hilarious special. Joe List is quietly building a huge catalog. I love Joe's special of, this year. Yeah, I thought this was his best one too. That that the, the um that that whole bit about his whole consistency about you know being a fun guy and having fun <laughs> and it was it's subtle but it keeps <laughs> it, it kind of builds and it's and it's intricate and. He, you know, he's building this this career outside of Netflix and HBO, mm-hmm. and he gets a he gets um, you know, this was the year that I real that that Robbie Hoffman really came got on my radar. Um, I loved, I mean, I wrote about I loved their the podcast too far, which I thought has something that felt different than most of the comedy podcasts, which are kind of typically chummy people, you know, hanging around and mm-hmm. riffing. And this instead of sort of old friends riffing, what I loved about Too Far, which is Rachel Kelly, who's also a fantastic comedian who's been doing great work in Brooklyn for many years, is that they're sort of new friends going at each other. And it feels real. There's real conflict and real stakes. And I, when listening to it, I, was, I thought to myself, man, this is, I, I actually don't hear this kind of thing on comedy podcasts. And they're being funny. They're both very funny independently. And she and Robbie Hoffman is funny. You know, she's on the new Verified. You know, yes. she's the not everyone's going to be into. Uh, I mean, well, she is a very aggressive, like uh, bristling comic of a kind that I I really like. And she is like she has one joke on this Verified, which is like you know hit or miss mm-hmm. um, the, the the entire thing. But she had one joke about interrupting, which is basically a defense of of interrupting, right? Which. Which, if you were just to write it down, it's completely nothing. It's just saying somebody's complaining about me. Someone's complaining that I interrupted her, and she's like, "Yeah." She's like, "Cause I got something to say, right?" <laughs> it's like, and if I say it, and that's not exactly it, but it was the intonation of it that I was like, "Wow, this is a uh, somebody who is cracking me the hell up just through." you know, force of personality and delivery. And there's weirdly, I put this in my review, but it, it's like she's. She, has a little bit of dice uh, in, mm. in in her, uh, which okay. you know is not an influence you see that much uh, as much these days. Alex Edelman, 
I think is a uh, is somebody who had a huge year in the previous year. There was so much art about mm. anti-Semitism that was rooted in the past, and Alex Edelman was an artist who is making work about anti-Semitism right now. And he was making work about Jewish identity, which right now, and the complexity of it, which is, you know, a part of the politics we're in right now. And I think that's like one of the wonderful things that art can do is it can show you something. You, I think you, that, uh, I think, you know, he, I'm very interested. The fact that he did a one man show that went from all the way to Broadway, um, and caused the, the fuss that it did, I think is quite interesting. And I don't think, I think it was because his talented guy also was about what he was talking about. And I think, you know, he, he told me when I interviewed that, that his next subject was, uh, you know, the, the Palestinian Israeli situation, man, <laughs> I mean, that, that I, I hope he does it. I hope he does it. It's, 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 um, there's something, um, Talmudic about the way he thinks that is not mm-hmm. lend itself to simple sloganeering. Um, I, I don't know where he, where he'd fall or where he'd end up, but he's, uh, there are going to be comedians that tackle this current situation well, in the next year. And, and not just on their, uh, Instagrams and getting in hot water. These it's, are all people who are not, I wouldn't put on lists five years ago. Right. One thing about Alex, you know, I met him when he was a teenager. So it's been quite amazing to see how he has developed. And to see him on Broadway after this image I have meeting him on the streets of Boston when he was still in high school and just uh, a huge comedy fan wanting to get into comedy, it's, it's, uh, really, really makes me proud for the, for the young, for the young kid. Uh, but speaking about like tackling anti-Semitism even before the events of this year, so what did you make of both Sarah Silverman and Gary Gullman specials, who both kind of addressed our attitudes towards Jewish Americans, at least? I wouldn't put either on the MVPs. I, I, I would, I, I'll tell you, I'm real, again, I want to stay on track. I yeah. think Sarah Silverman's next hour is going to be really, is one I'm looking forward to. Um, and from what I hear, you know, she's doing really interesting. And I don't think this, this is not about politics. I think there's a lot that's happened in her personal life with her parents um, passing away. And mm-hmm. that I, I, I hear that's going to be quite interesting. And not that I didn't like it, but I, I think that I don't think she was the, she changed the way we, we look at her in the way that say, as you say, best selling did best selling uh, in my mind, really, you know, kind of jumped to class. Um, and, you know, she'd been a good comic for a long time, but this, uh, I think she just put everything together, um, both on a comedic level and a storytelling level on a, um, on a personal level. I think she really would this in it's in a, in a way that wasn't as, uh, heavy handed as a lot of sort of comedians are today. This was very, uh, uh deeply personal and emotional and yes. revelatory. So, uh, I thought I agree with you on that one. Dina Hashem released a good, a really good special. I thought someone like, it, uh, Shane Gillis was an example of somebody who became, you know, a near arena comic. And mm-hmm. then is not only, you know, he's someone who showed that you could go through the YouTube route, route and then be welcomed back onto Netflix or welcome to Netflix mm-hmm. and be on that top 10 list for Netflix for a long time doing. I, it's interesting to compare him to Matt Reif. 
Because we all, you know, uh, Shane Gillis got fired from SNL, obviously. And what he didn't do is then immediately go on Jordan Peterson's uh, podcast. (laughs) I can do a whole hour just talking about that podcast episode. Well, I didn't see it. I don't want to, but I'm just saying, I I think... It's it's, it's amazing. Not to get off track. By not doing that, by not Mm -hmm. doing that, which is not comedy, right? That's that, 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 that... the people who then play the cancel culture card are, mm-hmm. are I think what Shane has showed is that's not just an annoying, overdone hack move, which mm-hmm. is, but it also is not good for your career. He's uh, definitely some, uh, someone who stood out. Okay. Okay. So uh, you bring up a couple points that I want to make sure I hit. One of which is this was really the year I had spoken with Robbie Pra. Last year, when they had their first Netflix festival out in Los Angeles, where we both met up at the Forum and at Dodger Stadium for separate shows, he told me then that that they he and Netflix were really on the lookout for the up-and-comers. And this was the year that they just poached anybody who seemed to be hot on YouTube. They, they poached Shane Gillis, uh, Sam Morrill, Mark Normand, uh, Stavros Halkias just had a special, uh, and Matt Reif. Like, they just, they're like, who's hot? Let's give them a Netflix special. And it's great for them. I don't know how great it is for the the rabid comedy fan. Like, because comedy fans of any of these people end up seeing a lot of the stuff that they already had seen. Right. I don't know if you noticed that, but but some of these comics, not Shane so much, but some of the other ones used bits from their YouTube in their Netflix special because they figured, well, the Netflix audience probably hasn't seen me. And so their fans go into it really excited. Then come out going, oh, this is, this is connected to your point, but I was recently talking to somebody who's in the comedy, who's, uh, who's in the comedy industry who made this point, which I've been asking a lot of comedians about or asking people to, cause I'm interested in this idea. There's this common wisdom that comedy is different than music and that when people go see the Rolling Stones, they want to see the hits. Yeah. 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 Comedy. You're not supposed to, the people don't want to hear that. So you can't do You throw yourself away. Someone made this point that, um, because of social media and because of the peculiar relationship between fandoms and stars, that that is not as much the case as it used to be that people now want to see the jokes that they see on social media in a new form, in a live form. Now, I don't know if this is true, but it's a really interesting development mm-hmm. if, it's, if, it's the, if it is. And I, w- I will say I was always skeptical of this point, not because, just because of my view of human nature. Like, I don't think that, not that, not that comedy isn't different than, than music, but I think people like the familiar along with the new. And some people love, like, if, and if people really love this, you know, Nate Bargatze's joke about, you know, turn the light off in the hotel room, whatever, they they, right. they want to see that joke. Right. Well, it's, it's I mean, that that uh, conventional wisdom has, has been long held about comedy being the opposite of music in that regard. But at the same time, there's always been an element of wanting the most popular thing. I mean, just ask Jim Gaffigan about the Hot Pockets thing. People were shouting Hot, Hot Pockets at him for years. And then you look to Tom Segura's Netflix special this year, and there were definite moments where he was playing to an inside baseball crowd with, like, references to Garth Brooks, which was, like, a, a running joke from his podcast. Yeah. 
No, it's a it's Shane's special is, is called uh, Beautiful Dogs, which is a which is a you know a double entendre. But I think that his fan base is, does there's the, there's this sense we there are certain comedians, and I think Gaffigan is one of them, who they don't want to do the hot pockets joke again, right? I, I can understand why. I'm sure the Rolling mm-hmm. Stones don't want to play. Um, you know, jumping jack class or for, jumping the jack for the billionth time, but that's a different question than what the audience wants, right? And I think that uh, that that may be a state of. I mean, like, what's the most common way people learn about jokes these days? It's you. Oh, did you see uh, Taylor Tomlinson's joke about X? Let me show. Let me. Let me. Let me send you the link. To the mm-hmm. thing. And then you show somebody, here's this joke. Oh, that's when you watch it together, right? And you share this moment. Right. And um, that's often how people learn about comedians. It's not watching a special, right? It's like, they, you know, do you hear this joke about, you know, uh, Gary Goldman's joke about the state capitals or whatever? You yeah. Know, the, uh, um, so I don't know. I think people, I'm not sure how much people care about the repeats on 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 that, but but. I think it will be interesting to see what uh, what Matt Reif's numbers are like. Yeah, well, to bring it back, I think that's really been a hot trend for better and for worse this year was Matt, not just Matt Reif, but Matt Reif is symbolic of this, how TikTok and crowd work has created this vicious loop where comedians were putting crowd work clips on TikTok because you're not burning any jokes by doing that, right? Because crowd work is all what whatever the crowd is that night. But you're putting crowd works on clips on, on TikTok, then you're getting people interested to see you. And then that's the joke that they want to see done when they come to see you. They want to see you do crowd work. Which is this feedback loop that is inspiring heckling. Yeah. Which is the last thing any comedian wants, even comedians who love, love doing crowd work. I mean, Matt Reif in those, in those podcasts, both with legitimate people and, uh, <laughs> bastards, uh, <laughs> Matt talked about how he decidedly wanted to let casual fans know that he's more than just a crowd work guy. Right. right? So he did these other things, some of which had more dubious agendas than others. But it was it's, all in a sense. It's interesting the the what's implicit in that sentence that he made that I want more that is that crowd work is like a, a less ambitious thing mm-hmm. than than real stand up, which I think is hasn't changed, right? It's like that among stand ups, there's still a sense that like you know that I the, the again this goes to like there it is true that there are crowd work can be better and worse and there's there's people who are really good at it and people who are less good at it but it is also true that it the, the average person thinks it's a more impressive thing than this and uh but yeah i think this is the year certainly it became you know a key part of marketing that they were mm-hmm. big comedians major comedians who would just go to the club to get a crowd work video to promote their tour when they were going out to theater that yeah. that's how it's viewed now. Oh yeah. Joe List special had a running joke where he's like, Oh, this is a clip. This is a reel. That's where everyone, that's the idea. <laughs> and you know, I think it goes again. I think I have very mixed feelings on it because I get like part of what makes live comedy different is the interactivity of it. And over the pandemic, we, we were isolated and have that. And I think, 
there is something about crowd work that is so distinct to stand up. And it you can be exciting. It can be exciting. Yes. And yet, or yes, and yet, the ironic, <laughs> dirty little secret that comedians will never want to admit to is they hate improvisers, but they love crowd work. And crowd work is all about, say it with me, improvisation. That's a good point. A so good they point. are improvisers. They are the thing that they loathe the most. Yeah, it's, I've never, I've never heard that quite put that way. But yeah, I mean, but maybe that's the truth. I don't think comedians do love crowd work. I think they hate crowd work. They just feel like they have to do it now. And maybe that's rooted in a contempt for improv. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps, but uh, to keep us back on track. Okay, so I have two names here who you might not think of as the comedy MVP, but as I was thinking about, like, how are you providing value to comedy or to the community? There are two comedians who did different things. One of them is Nate Bargatze, who, in addition to having a sp- moving from Netflix to Amazon to show that you don't have to be on Netflix he started a separate company, Nateland, which is doing podcasts, which sure, lots of people are doing podcasts. But he also produced and released three million view specials on YouTube. He produced specials for Mike Fecchione, Joe Zimmerman, and Greg Warren. Greg Warren's probably going to make my list, the salesman. That was a special. really good special. Really yeah. funny. Really funny. So by providing this network, this ladder to like help, and all those guys could use the exposure. Right. And oh, Nate yeah. and Nate Bargatze is giving them that exposure. So does that make him more valuable as a performer? Because he's. Well, he's not, perf- hell yeah, of course. Yeah. And, and also, I mean, I saw Nate Bargatze play Radio City this year and he I saw two. Well, I didn't say two, he had he had two shows. The first, I think, was at five o'clock. OK, this is this tells me a lot. Mm hmm. Five o'clock at Radio City, you can be a t- young person and go see this show, right? And there were young people there. Nate Bargatze is the new Jim Gaffigan. Um, he is positioning himself. And also, by the way, he hosted Saturday Night Live. I was just about to say, you know who couldn't help but notice how many young fans were going to Radio City Music Hall? The guy across the street at 30 Rock. But the thing about doing it at 5 p.m. and having these young fans mm-hmm. is that... You know, that's a new paradigm that I, I think it's related to this. We're talking about being on screens. A lot of young people learned about Nate Bargatze through TikTok, Instagram, you know, he's and they want to go see him at Radio City. They can't you can't see. It's hard to see Jim Gaffigan at a, you know, at a club. Uh, mm-hmm. because there's, and so I think he's very savvy, uh, Nate Bargatze. And I'll just say also one other point, which is that when I saw him at Radio City with my whole family, with my two kids and my wife, again, there's not that many stand-up shows in my life I've seen with my whole family, right? Um, and they all had a good time, right? Sure. The, um, which, is, again, is very rare. Um, my Every one of my family, they, everyone likes stand-up, but they all have very different tastes. Uh, and uh, But they all like Neighbor Gatsy. And uh, his dad opened for him. And- oh, right. The magician, yeah. And man, that explained everything because his dad was so charming and in a very Nate way. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had a style that was very similar. And you were like, oh, if you grew up around this guy, 
<laughs> you couldn't help but turn into this comedian. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I think I think that's um so yeah, I agree. I think that's a good one. Nate Bargassi yeah, Nate had, had a big year. And then the other name uh that I wanna just throw out there is Joe Rogan. Whoa, for, that's a that's a out of left field. For for two reasons. Well it's not completely because one he finally opened his own comedy club, the Comedy Mothership in downtown Austin on uh, lovely Sixth Street, uh, which they close off for the drunks every weekend. Um, but in doing that, he's created this whole ecosystem out there, right? He's he's in a sense uh, cloned the comedy store out there. He poached the comedy store's booker and has essentially kind of the same system working there where everybody who works there is an aspiring comedian. And He's got the Kill Tony people there, which is a hugely popular show. And it's attracted all of these other people, for better or worse, to Austin. Um, and then part of that, through his podcast, when he's not going completely off the reservation, he has this recurring thing called Protect Our Parks, which is a roundtable with uh, Ari Shafir, who he goes back with a long time. But then it's also Shane Gillis and Mark Normand. And then he also has Tim Dillon on a bunch. And he... By doing by doing these recurring things with these this select group of comedians, he's raising all of their profiles. Well, I don't. I, I'm I'm not with you on this one. Um, okay. The uh, which is the, I mean, I, you're right about the he opened a club and that, it, but um, but he's been doing that for you know the the with the with Ari Shapiro for a long time. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and and if anything, I I would argue that his influence seems to be fading. I hear about him. I've heard about him less this year than I have in previous years. Um, the idea that, first of all, I mean, anyways, I, I, that, that that's a very unscientific impression I have. And I don't know, isn't his Spotify deal up soon? Um, but I'd be, I'll be interested to see what he does next. Obviously, he's a very important figure in comedy. He's controversial. He's, he's insufferable a lot of the time. Uh, but he's, um, I find... I haven't thought about him as much this year as I have in years past. Um, right. But if you're a comedian who's coming, who's not yet famous and you get invited onto his show, it raises your, like you get a bump. I know Sean, but we could have said that five years ago. Like who's the last one he did that with? I think you could argue Tim Dillon, Andrew Schultz. Those are, those guys are now, that's this is years later. Mm-hmm. So I would just say like 2023, who's the comedian who he gave this big bump to he, I mean, to be totally honest, I'm probably not even uh, an authority to speak on it because I just don't feel like he's been as relevant okay. as other figures. And I think it's also a sign of just like how 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 fragmented it is. Who? What? 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 What other? Uh... This isn't a name per se, but as I was going through frantically trying to make sure that I watched enough YouTube specials to not uh, erroneously snub any of them. I couldn't help but notice that more than a few of them have a joke where they say that the joke that they had or the bit they had just told was 100% honest, that they weren't making it up. And I found that to be rather odd considering they were all saying that before the uh, the New Yorker magazine pipe bomb right. uh, blew up in front of Hassan. Hasan Minaj. Yeah, that that that's definitely a major story of the year, no question. 
Yeah. Well, you know the the would be the would be next host of the Daily Show, if not for in the piece that I wrote uh, about that. Again, that was a very thorny, tricky thing that like is one of those stories that begins outside of the comedy world, uh, and then I think you know there's a discussion about it in the comedy world that is more a little more informed. Mm-hmm. Um, but is dealing with a lot of tricky issues, I think. In that piece, you know, I, I make the case that, you know, comedians implicitly or explicitly teach their audience how to read them. Um, nobody expects, you know, everything that Jerry Seinfeld said, you know, said to be to be true, right? No, Especially no, Pop-Tarts. Yeah, no, Pop-Tarts. I mean, it's true of oh, like 99% of the most comedians that's true of. It's how abstract they are, how surreal they are, how, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're used of hyperbole. There's all sorts of ways that the tools they have to teach their audience whether or not what they're saying is true. The reason that he is a tricky one is he's part of this daily show lineage that has benefited from the authenticity of coming off as like the news, right? right? And whether to some degree, whether he likes it or not, there's people that he he's stamped with that. He begins with this sense that people think he's more credible than not only just a lot of comedians, but then a lot of people, you know, covering the news, right? Right. And so it's sort of, I think that story made comedians understand like, oh, oh, yeah, we do all, if we don't realize it, teach our audience how to read us. And maybe we have to be more explicit about it. Some of, and maybe that's what explains what you're saying. I'm going to, I'm going to be, this is true. This is not true. Or, or they say something which is so obviously a lie. That's a more elegant way to do it. Like that it tells you that you can't trust what they're saying. Right. (laughs) And uh, so there's all sorts of clever ways. I mean, that was one of the things that I, one of my takeaways from that thing is that, it wouldn't have been hard for him to uh, make all the same points. Right, um, he didn't need to do it. He could have even put himself at the center of it and then added one word or sentence that indicates that he was like, you know, you can't, he's a little, he, you know, there's an embellishment. There's so many tools you've seen comedians use to play with truth and fiction. Um, and yeah. I would, and instead he kind of, um, you know, did the opposite often, which was the, no. He made it his origin story. Yeah, he made it sound like the reason he is who he is is because he personally experienced these things. I think and, there's a well. I know there's a lot of comedians were nervous after that story came out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, frankly, unnecessarily. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that the, that's the standard applies to most comedians, right? And I put it, I also put in the piece of like the story of Sebastian Maniscalco where he like made up this. Oh, I thought that fiction. was, I thought that was just as bad. Yeah. I I agree, but nobody cared. Like <laughs> I, I, like I did, I made me think a little bit. I thought that was, you know, an, an unseemly and kind of a jerky, but I, I, his audience doesn't care. Um, and that's why I think like, although there's a lot of comedians nervous about it, I, I don't, I don't think almost all of them don't need to be, but they probably should be a little thoughtful yeah. about this issue. What other takeaways do you have from this year or that you look forward going into 2024? Look forward going into 2024. Well, I don't know. I'm excited about, it. I think there's a lot of stuff to look forward to. I think I'm looking forward to the, the probably last season of Curb. 
that's I think going to be a big uh, which comes back in February. Um, the, uh, the 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 Netflix festival. I'm going back. I I, I probably shall. I hope you're there in May <laughs> in LA. Um, but I think we, you know, I, I put, I, you know, I put my, I put Gaffigan as, as, as the best, best special. I really liked, um, you know, I, I thought some of my, one of my favorite bits was by John Early and his special. I thought he was who I think there's so many comedians, very good comedians doing things that are similar to John Early right now. Um, and, uh, but he, he so he, I think was a real, uh, um, I think pioneer. I think I think this year his his influence. If we were going to measure MVP by influence, mm-hmm. he would he would be um, high up there. Um, so more rock concerts, more rock concerts. <laughs> maybe more rock. There's definitely more music, man. There's so many so many singing comedians. What about you? What are you looking for? We have a, a minute left. What are you? Yeah, looking we have a minute for? left. I'm looking forward to see how After Midnight does with taylor tollinson as host on cbs i'm i'm and i'm looking forward to see who the what the daily show ends up being in 2024 that's that's a really good question not just who it is but what it ends up being because who knows what that new host or hosts will do to it that's true i I, it's a good point about after midnight taylor tollinson he he could be an mv she's been blowing up and that's gonna put three comedians on late night television every night telling jokes um, getting exposure. I think that is a, that's not a traditional talk show that that's going to get, um, that that's going to be good for comedy. Let's hope so. Jason Zinneman. Thank you so much. Great to be here as always. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was post-produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music was by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. If you enjoyed listening, please check out my Substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com for transcripts, bonus commentary, and expert analysis about comedy, show business, and more. I'm your host, Sean L. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.